you can't figure God. And you can't judge people based on what their mama or daddy did. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. And today we are actually in part three of a three-part series called The Will of the Father. And the challenges that we often have in life of the battle between our will or my will and God's will, and how our prosperity and our blessings and our peace and our joy ultimately depends upon us following God's will instead of our will. And today I'm just led to take three characters from the Bible, Moses, Saul, and David, three well-known characters, and just illustrate how even all three of these great men got away from the will of the Father and did their own thing. And almost every case, well, I'm not going to say almost, I'll say every case, every case of where we find life destruction, you're going to find when you're really examining it, somebody who simply did, I did my own thing. I did it my way. I followed my will, not God's will. Now, it's not that God's will won't get you killed, because sometimes it will. All of the disciples except one died violent death. So following Jesus was a risky thing. And sometimes even to follow God, you have to give up your life and give up stuff. So it's not that it won't get you in some deadly and death situation. I just don't know any. Every situation I know that's messed up, folk have done their own thing. I don't know any situations where anybody, you know, I was just following what God told me to do. I was going by the Bible, and look what happened to me. I just don't know them. May have happened. I don't know them. In every case, it's my will was done, and this is what happened. So I want to just talk to you for a few minutes today just about three of those men who chose for an instant to follow their own will. There once was an old lady, and she would roam the countryside, and she sold pots and pans to the houses, and she was kind of a door-to-door salesperson. And the way that she would determine how she would go and which way when she got to a crossroad, she would throw a stick up in the air, and whichever way the stick landed, wherever it pointed, that's the direction she would go. And everybody knew that. They knew the lady. She'd been there for years. And one day they saw the lady throw the stick up. And then she picked the stick up again, threw it up in there again. And she picked it up again. She threw it up in there again. And she did this about ten times. And finally they said, excuse me, normally don't you throw the stick up to see which way you're going to go? She said, yeah. She said, well, why did you throw the stick up ten times? She said, because nine times the stick pointed to the right, but I wanted to go left. And this is the way we are sometimes. We will hear God. We will know God's word clearly. But we just want to go another direction. And as a result, that left path usually gets us in a mess. 
Moses was highly revered by God. Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, for those of you who don't know, Cushite was Ethiopian. So he had married an Ethiopian woman. He'd married a black woman. That's deep. But Ethiopian, I've been to Ethiopia. I spent a few weeks there, and to be honest, they got the prettiest women I've ever seen on earth. They really, really do. Most people think my wife is Ethiopian. I was telling her that the other day. Sweetheart, you got some of the, you're so pretty because you got an Ethiopian forehead. And so I had a little issue with that. I won't go into that. But anyway, Moses married a Cushite or an Ethiopian woman. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, this is deep. Moses was the King James Version said he was the meekest man. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Now, can you imagine what that means out of all of these millions of folk on the earth? And here Moses had done so much. He freed the people. He'd gone up and talked to Pharaoh. He had commanded all of these miracles. And here the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. You don't find leaders that humble. Normally when you've done some big stuff and everybody, hey, Moses, 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 when you've done Great stuff. It's hard to remain humble with all of that. So here Moses was, the most humble man on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Arian, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. Y'all don't understand how deep that is. Because a lot of the stuff God tells me is just unclear. And the stuff unfolds over time. I said, Lord, I asked God that once. I said, Lord, why you can't speak to me just clearly and tell me exactly like it is? Why stuff has to be so twisted? And he said, my word is twisted. I said, well, you ain't going to say no more. I understood that. So here God is sent through, with all the prophets, he speaks through a cloud, and as Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. He speaks in riddles, but to Moses, he spoke clearly and face to face. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. So God put leprosy on Miriam just because she spoke against her brother because he married 
an Ethiopian woman. But in Exodus 4.21, And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So here, here God is telling Moses, you're going to talk to the president of the country. And this is what you're going to tell the president of the country, the absolute ruler. But this next verse, verse number 24. And it came to pass, by the way in the end, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words the Lord had sent him and all the signs which we had, he had commanded him. Now, this is deep. Right in the verse before, here God is telling Moses about going and speaking to the king of the land. Right in the middle, he said he sought to kill him. Because he hadn't circumcised his son in Zipporah, his wife came and did the circumcision and saved Moses. And right after that, here Aaron going to the mountain, but here all of the stuff Moses, it doesn't explain it. And that's all that is in the Bible about that. There's no other explanation anywhere or any more words about it at all, and I couldn't find any anywhere. So it is assumed that it was because Moses did not circumcise his son. But then you have to ask the question, why didn't he circumcise his son? Why was God so upset? Why would, Moses had done all this stuff. And, said, and the Lord sought to kill him. Now, first of all, if God is seeking to kill you, you already did. It ain't like God can't find you. So if God is seeking to kill you, you are already dead. But it says, the Lord sought to kill him, but Zipporah intervened. That's why it's important to have a good wife. Good wife can save your life or kill you. So, so, so here is this story that's enigmatic. You got to say, what's all behind that? But there was something that Moses was supposed to do that he didn't do that made God so upset that God was getting ready to kill Moses after all of this stuff that he'd done. Now, Moses also never set foot in the promised land because he was disobedient about that water coming out of the rock. When God told him to speak to the rock, he struck the rock, and God got upset because he didn't follow his instructions. So the point of Moses is this. As great as Moses was, Moses still disobeyed God. As great and as powerful as Moses was, Moses still disobeyed God. There once was a missions director, and he directed missionaries all over the world, and 
He was talking with a mother who had a son over in Sudan. And the mother was just as proud of the son, and she said this son has been following God all his life, and he was led to go there, and she was just so happy that he was following God. And the director of the missionaries got the news that one of the missionaries had been killed in the Sudan and found out it was this mother's son. And now he knew he had to go and tell this mother that her son had been killed and he was dead. And when he got to her house and sat down with her and told her the tragic news, the mother looked down and after a few minutes of just composing herself, she told the missionary director this. She said, sir, I would rather have my son die in the middle of Sudan alone than to have him living here with me, disobeying the will of God. This is the kind of faith that you need to truly follow the will of God. You've got to be able to understand when God has commissioned you to do something or when God has sent you somewhere, even if it looks like stuff has gone wrong. And I've told you this many times when I was there laying in that street in Isle of Patmos. I said, Lord, you sent me. If I die here, so be it. And I was just as calm as I could be. I knew I was where God had told me to be, and I just wasn't worried about it. If I had to go to heaven straight from that, that was fine. I don't want to be anywhere outside of the will of God. And, and God has sent me some places that, to be honest, was kind of dangerous, real dangerous. But I never worried about it. When God sends you somewhere, you're going to be protected. And if you're not protected, it's the divine will of God. The worst can happen, you just get to heaven a little early. So you have to have that kind of faith in obeying the will of God. And this mother, even though she lost her only son, said she'd rather for him to be in the will of God dead than there with her disobeying God. Saul, the second man. And I'm reading out of the contemporary English version. This is 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Lord told me to choose you to be the king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. When the Israelites were on their way out of Egypt, the nation of Amalek attacked them. I am the Lord, all-powerful, and now I am going to make Amalek pay. Go and attack the Amalekites. Destroy them and all their possessions. Don't have any pity. Kill their men, women children, and even their babies. Slaughter their cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Saul sent messengers who told every town and village to send men to join the army of Telam. There were 210,000 troops in all, and 10,000 of those were from Judah. Saul organized them, then led them to the valley near one of the towns in Amlek, where they got ready to make a surprise attack. Some Kenites lived nearby, and Saul told them, Your people were kind to our nation when we left Egypt, and I don't want to get you killed when I wipe out the Amalekites, so stay away from them. The Kenites left, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah to Shur, which is just east of Egypt. Every Amalekite was killed except King Agag. Saul and his army let Agag live, and they also spared the best sheep and cattle. They didn't want to destroy anything of value. 
So they only killed the animals that were worthless or weak. The Lord told Samuel, Saul has stopped obeying me, and I am sorry that I made him king. Samuel was angry, and he cried out in prayer to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, he went to talk with Saul. Someone told him Saul went to Carmel, where he had a monument built, so everyone would remember his victory. Then he left for Gilgal. Samuel finally caught up with Saul, and Saul told him, I hope the Lord will bless you. I have done what the Lord told me. Then why, Samuel asked, do I hear sheep and cattle? The army took them from the Amalekites, Saul explained. They kept the best sheep and cattle so they could sacrifice them to the Lord your God. But we destroyed everything else. Stop, Samuel said. Let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. All right, Samuel, Saul asked. Samuel continued, you may not think you're very important, but the Lord chose you to be king, and you are in charge of the tribes of Israel. When the Lord sent you on this mission, he told you to wipe out those worthless Amalekites. Why didn't you listen to the Lord? Why did you keep the animals and make him angry? But I did listen to the Lord, Saul answered. He sent me on a mission, and I went. I captured King Agag and destroyed his nation. All the animals were going to be destroyed anyway. That's why the army brought the best sheep and cattle to Gilgal as sacrifices to the Lord your God. Tell me, Samuel said, does the Lord really want sacrifices and offerings? No, he doesn't want your sacrifices he wants you to obey him. Rebelling against God or disobeying him because you are proud is just as bad as worshiping idols or asking them for advice. You refuse to do what God told you to do, so God has decided that you can no longer be king. Now, it goes on talking about that. But here, Saul did what he thought was right in his own mind. And I could understand his decision. He gets there, he sees all this fine stuff, and God has told him, and that was a rough command. I got to admit, that was a rough command. It's not politically correct to even read that. That was a rough command because God told Saul to kill everything. Every human being from man, from old man to young child to babies, he's going to kill everything, every living thing. And Saul got there. He didn't kill the king, and he didn't kill those good sheep and those good cattle because he said, these ain't too valuable. I ain't going to kill these things. So he did what he thought in his own mind. And see, sometimes you don't, you don't know the reason for stuff. Only God can understand the whole picture because when he tells you to do something, he doesn't tell you the whole reason and the whole story. He only gives you a little piece of it. So you don't even know why or what. But he said, because of this, you can no longer be king. That one little thing sent Saul on a path of destruction. You know, Arabian horses, these are these big, fine horses. They're really trained very rigorously. And when they get to the end of their training as their final test, they're not given any water for several days. So they become extremely, extremely thirsty. And then they are allowed to roam until they get to the river. And here they are thirsty. They haven't had water in several days. They are dying of thirst. And they get to the river. And then the trainer calls out, stop, come back. And there they are. They see the river. 
They see the clean, cool, fresh water. They are thirsty as they can be. They're about to die of thirst. They're parched, dry. And the trainer says, stop, come back. And the horses have to make a decision. Do they follow their thirst? You know, they have a commercial out there that says, obey your thirst. What that means is simply obey what your body desires. So the horses have to decide, do they obey their thirst or do they obey the master? And the horses that turn around and come back to the master, they are granted to be in the group that goes on to grand things. But the horses that obeys their thirst, they're cast away. And when they come back to the master, the master then gives them all that they can drink. And it's that way with God. Sometimes God says, hold up, stop. I know your flesh wants this. Hold up, stop. I know you're thirsty. Hold up, stop. I know you're hungry. Hold up, stop. I know you're lusting. Hold up, stop. And God will tell you sometimes to hold up and stop. The world will tell you, obey your thirst. And there are two different directions, and there are two different outcomes. But God knows what we should do. And David, David is considered the greatest of the kings. And we know the story of David. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, this woman was very attractive. She might have been Ethiopian. So David sent someone to inquire about the woman. The messenger said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David sent some messengers to get her. She came to him, and he went to bed with her. Now, this caused David all kinds of issues but he obeyed his thirst he obeyed his hunger and he saw this woman bathing and she was beautiful and his body called out and he answered it caused him to commit adultery it caused him to commit murder because when he slept with Bathsheba she got pregnant then when Uriah, her husband, came home, David tried to send him in to his wife, and he wouldn't go because he said if his men are in the field, he's not going to be in there having pleasure while his men are in the field. So Uriah wouldn't sleep with his wife. So David had to have him killed, and it caused all kind of issues. And the child that was born died because God wouldn't let the child live. Now, this is a deep story. It's a deep story when you start studying the details of the Bible. Let me tell you why it's deep. David had multiple wives and concubines. Solomon got that from somewhere. It doesn't tell you how many he had. It tells you that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. It doesn't tell you how many David had, but what it does tell you, he had wives and concubines in every city. There's a lot of cities. I mean, a lot of wives, a lot of concubines. So Solomon got that from David. He had all these legitimate wives and legitimate concubines. So you ask, why 
did God send the wisest man who ever walked the earth through that relationship? Bible doesn't answer that question. I asked the question because I want to know stuff like that because it's intriguing to me. It's a, this is a mystery. He had all these wives, all these concubines. He had one that was illicit, one that was adulterous and murderous, and God sent the wisest man who ever walked the earth through Bathsheba. That was Solomon's mama. Why? You can't figure God. And you can't judge people based on what their mama or daddy did. You don't know what God's going to do, why he's doing it, because you cannot see and understand the whole picture. The Bible doesn't explain why they sent Solomon through Bathsheba. doesn't explain that at all. But one thing it does say, David violated God's word. And the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He revealed him just like he revealed Moses. And just like God chose Saul to be king. So these were great men who God chose and God revealed. But all men, and some women, but all men get weak and disobey God at some points in their life. See, Moses, the Bible didn't explain why he did not get his son circumcised. Saul knew he just did what he thought was best. David succumbed to lust, followed the desires of the body. And yet, they all paid a price. David lost a child. David had another big one where he disobeyed God when he numbered the people. And God told him, don't number the people. And David numbered the people. And when God came, I told you not to number these people. Now, you got a choice. You can either have this plague or you can have mine. He said, well, give me the it's about 75,000 folk got killed because David did not do what God told him to do. That's another one of those principles. When the king messes up, the whole kingdom suffers. It's like if you're in a company and the president of the company messes up, the whole company suffers. It's like if you're in a country and the president of the country do something stupid and get you into something crazy, the whole country suffers. So the leader's actions have multiplied leverage because it flows over everybody he leads. And that's why I have to be real careful with this church. The church is often cursed or blessed, and it can be cursed or blessed based on what the leader does. Simple as that. If the leader mess up, it mess up their spirit. It just does. It brings a blessing or a curse just because of what the leader does. So here we had three men who were all revered by God, but yet in moments of weakness disobeyed. And it's not a question of whether you will disobey, it's when. Now, I'd like to say that, you know, we're just going to be perfect from this point on. You're just not going to make any more errors. But that ain't liable to happen. Because I can't do it. And God told me, don't tell the people to do anything you can't do. I had an instance Tuesday. Tuesday, I was testing out a chef because I want to get my diet even cleaner. So I found this natural chef and met with her. And she said, I'm going to bring you three meals. And I make all this natural stuff, and I make desserts. I said, can you make a dessert with no sugar? She said, yeah, I can make you an apple pie. has no sugar. And so she brought my three meals on Tuesday, and she brought me a full apple pie. And I tasted the apple pie. The apple pie tastes like a regular apple pie, but it had no sugar. See, if you bake apples, they actually 
tastes kind of like regular apple pie. And it was just delicious. It was delicious. And I had a full apple pie on Tuesday. And so I had a slice with the meal about noon. And I had another little slice. Now, first of all, God has already told me that which is sweet to you shall be bitter to your body. And that which is bitter to you shall be sweet to your body. So I knew sweet and it's backed up by every medical report that sugar just not good for you. Even once it is altered, now natural raw apples, fine. But once you bake them, it changes stuff. So I knew I should only eat, you know, one or two slices of this apple pie. So I had another slice by 2 o'clock. And I stayed at work to probably 9 or 10 o'clock that night. When I left at 10 o'clock, you know the tin pie pan? The tin pie pan only had crumbs in it. <laughs> I knew better. There was no question in my mind. I knew as I was eating it that I shouldn't be eating it. This is not going to be good for me. This is not healthy. Even though it had no sugar in it, I knew that was altered, baked. I knew this was not good. I could, I could feel my body reacting to that pie, and it wasn't good. But this is the problem. I didn't stop eating the pie. So I understand. That's why I don't criticize other folk in the Bible, because I understand if we were placed in the same position, we may even do worse than they did. So our, our challenge is simply this. The will of the Father, all of us at times will know God's will. And I want you to remember this sermon. And what I told I said, look, I'm sorry, don't bring me any more desserts. There's no need of me saying, next time I'm going to be strong. There's no need of me saying that. Next time I'm going to eat one piece of that pie per day and no more. That's all I'm going to do. Next time I'm going to get it right. I said, don't bring me no more pies. No more pies. No more desserts, no cakes. I don't care whether there's no sugar in it. Don't bring me anything else sweet because I can't handle it. And you've got to know what you can handle. And you've got to put yourself in position to where you can stay in the will of God. All of you are going to run into situations where the will of God will fight with your thirst. And you've got to say, will I obey the master or will I obey my thirst? And it is this answer to this question that will determine your path in life. Because I can tell you, following your thirst is going to lead you to destruction. But following the will of God will eventually lead you to peace, to joy, to prosperity, to all of the good stuff, and to a great afterlife. But following your thirst is destructive. And it looks like following the will of God is bad right now because you have to deny some stuff. See, when David looked up at Bathsheba, David knew that was a piece of pie he shouldn't have. He knew it. But it looked good to him. Saul knew what God told him about killing all the animals. Saul knew, but they looked good. I don't know what Moses' reason was because it didn't explain any of it. I don't know what his reasons were. And some of us have reasons that are hidden as to why we don't want to obey what God tells us to do. Remember this message on your next decision. And I just heard God say, and it's not going to be long. Turn to the person stump, it's not going to be long. It's not going to be long before you have a decision to make and it's 
Your will of God is not going to be long. So you remember this message when you come up against that decision. When you come up against that decision where somebody's made you mad, and you know God says forgive them. When you come up against that decision, obey your thirst or obey the will of the Father. It won't be long before you have a decision to make. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I pray for strength for all of us. As we face temptations day by day, hour by hour, and yea, even minute by minute, I pray that you strengthen us and help us to remember this message. Are we obeying our thirst or are we obeying you? And Lord, help us to choose the right path. Help us to follow and obey your will. In thy son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Brothers of the Word. Remember, it won't be long before you have that decision to make. Thank you for joining us today at Brothers of the Word because, brother, you need the Word. And I ask Pastor James to close us out for today. Amen. We thank Pastor for that awesome message and so don't forget, let this come back to your remembrance when you're faced with a decision and you know what God has said in his word or to you personally in prayer. And in the midst of this decision, when it looks like it's the easy way to go the opposite way, let this message come back to your memory and think about these three great men from the Bible of Moses and Saul and David and don't just think about what they did, but think about the consequences that were suffered after. And sometimes that helps you to make it through when you think about the consequences. See, the devil, he only tells you about the immediate gratification. He doesn't mention the consequences. So think about the consequences. If, if all of those men, if they could see the consequences before they disobeyed God, it would have stopped them. If they would have concentrated on what it would have cost them. So let this message come back to your mind when you're faced with that decision and it won't be long. And you know what God has said, but you know what your flesh is saying. And he even talked about why Solomon, the wisest man, had to come through this illicit affair. And, you know, all of these things were predestined because. I don't think it's an accident that even her name with bath started with the word bath. And that's where he saw her lusted up was in the bath. And even the second part of her name is Sheba, who that son Solomon, who she came, the queen of Sheba came to him. And as he talked about Ethiopia, she was that Ethiopian queen and end up, according to their history, he had a child with her that became a king in Ethiopia. So... All of that was embedded even in her name, Bathsheba. So God, he moves in mysterious ways, and he can use even that which we've messed up and use it even for his glory. And he'll have a testimony even out of our mess. So we thank God for this message today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you've sent today about obeying the will of the Father, Lord. We pray, oh Lord, that you'll just bring this message back unto our memory, Father, when it's, we're faced with decisions, when 
You tell us to go one way, but our flesh tells us to go another, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy that has kept us from those times that we haven't obeyed you in the past, oh Lord. We thank you for not totally destroying us, oh Lord, but giving us time to get it right, oh Lord. And we pray, Father, that we will just analyze our own hearts today, oh Lord, to see if there's anything that we're doing right now, Lord, that we need to turn from, oh Lord, and obey your will. We pray that you prick our hearts and consciously, oh Lord, that we will be in thy will, Obeying the will of the Father, Lord. We place your will above our will, O Lord. For we know you see and know all, O Lord. That we only know part of the things that's going on right now, O Lord. But you know all, O Lord. And you know not only what's happening now, but what will happen, O Father. You know the future, Lord. You know what's best for us, O Lord. And we just trust you, O Lord, with our lives. We trust you with our path, O Father. And we pray, Father, that you continue to walk with us, O Lord, as we walk with you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was part nine of the series titled, The Reluctant King, subtitled, The Will of My Father, part three, by Nathaniel Bronner. This message is number 2013. That's 2013. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 2013 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because brother, you need the word. Oh, brothers of the word.